Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Von Warren, and this is another episode of the Bold, Beautiful, and Bearded podcast. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about relationships, polyamory, and I hate to say versus because it's not like one is better than the other or one is more inherently right than the other. Um, There's nothing wrong with either and there's nothing right with either. Um, But I'm going to be exploring the topic of polyamory, telling my um, journey with it and journey from monogamy to polyamory minded. Uh, my experience with what I've witnessed in the gay community and what I've grown up with and all that. So as you all know, I um, I love definitions. So, and I'm going to be getting a lot of my information from a video from this YouTube YouTuber called Teal Swan who focuses on consciousness expansion. The way that she puts a lot of the... Uh, facets of polyamory is very, very fascinating to me. And it really just kind of like helped me come to terms with like what I was thinking, how I felt about relationships. So I will include the link to her video. I encourage you to watch it. I really enjoy her YouTube channel in general. She's a really good person to listen to about certain topics. Um, so the uh, word root words poly, that means uh, many in Greek, and amor means Latin for love, so many loves. Uh, the And there's actually quite a bit of definitions. So the, let me see here. So I have an article from Psychology Today here that defines the seven different kinds of non-monogamy. Now, the first one is cheating, which a lot of monogamous relationships fall under. Um, this is some people uh, see any non-monogamous relationship as adulterous, which isn't true. But cheating is where there is a non-consensual partner and a consensual partner, excuse me, a non-consensual partner in the act of multiple relationship engagement. So there is lying, there is um, not telling the other person. And I mean, there, there comes a whole slew of um, problems with cheating, right? So we've got STI uh, increases, we have um, trust issues. It says here that scholars estimate that approximately 25%, 20 to 25% of, of ever married men and 10 to 15% of ever married women have admitted to an affair. There is another youtube video that comes to mind it's a ted talk about fidelity and that's a whole nother topic uh and it pretty much just covers on like where we get our um, our worth from but that's again that's a different topic so um polygamy is a form of marriage consisting of more than two persons so obviously the first thing that comes to mind out of the gate is oh my gosh i just left me it is a religion and uh, Mormons, thank you. Mormons, I think, is the uh, religion that comes to mind when it comes to polygamy. Um, and quite frankly, I'm just kind of going out, going out on a little rant here. I don't see why you shouldn't be able to marry more than one person. But again, that's a different topic. So then there's open relationships. Uh, this generally, it's a very big umbrella term, but more often than not, it's referred to as... 
the uh, primary couple are open to sexual contact with other people. They're swinging, which um, is where couples, you know, exchange partners. Um, that has more of a broad, like wife swapping is a big thing in that. Monogamish is something that I did not hear about or know about. Now, monogamish um, are relationships in which the couple's prim are, is primarily monogamous, but allows varying degrees of sexual contact with others. So that could look like one night stands. It could look like only going through people in your little black book you have already. Let's say the one partner travels for work. Um, that So that is actually determined as monogamish, which is a very fun little term to use. Then we have polyamory and polyfidelity, which allows people to openly conduct multiple sexual and or romantic relationships simultaneously, ideally with the knowledge and the consent of all involved in or affected by the relationship. Polyfidelity is similar, except it is, is it a controlled, excuse me, it is a closed relationship style that requires sexual and emotional fidelity to an intimate group that is larger than two. So polyamory is uh, where there's a, a main couple and then they go out and they have either intimate relationships or sexual relationships because polyamory doesn't have to be sexual. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. Polyfidelity is where you have a group of like two or more, and then it is closed within that group. Polyaffective are relationships that are emotionally intimate, non-sexual connections among people connected by a polyamorous relationship, such as two heterosexual men who are both in sexual relationships with the same woman and have a co-spousal or brother-like relationship with each other. That is a recipe for a porno, I feel like. <laughs> and then relationship anarchy is the philosophy that, I mean, it's hard to pin down, but it's the philosophy that uh, one should not be uh, burdened to, um, actually, I like Teal Swan's definition of it. Um, where is it? It is where someone believes that they should not be can oh personal freedom is all the individual cares about and there's a belief that a relationship should not be restricted for a sense of duty or obligation, meaning that any relationship choice is and should be allowed. There is no distinction between partner and non partner as you heard in the other definitions, there is either like a closed group of multiples or there is a an open group of just like the main couple. But there is a differentiation or a difference between a partner and a non-partner. So those are kind of the definitions that uh, we're going to be kind of, I mean, I'm not going to touch on all of those, but I just kind of thought that it was interesting that there's seven different forms of non-monogamous relationships. Now, uh, poly, like I said, is consented by all involved members. Not all involved members have to be involved with each other but they have to know what's going on. And that's a very key component. And that's the difference between that and cheating. Now, where did monogamy come from? This is a very fascinating topic to me because way back before society had a major influence on people, uh, we were wanderers and you know nomads and monogamy came from a sense of the woman needing to secure a place to stay, to raise the children, 
and a sense for the man of who do I give my land to? Who do I give, you know, uh, whose children are, which children are mine so I can then, you know, pass down the land or pass down the, the farm or whatever it is. And somewhere along the line, it got warped into no longer being for an economic standpoint, but for a intimacy standpoint. Um, you know, back when arranged marriages were going on, affairs where you were where you would go to find real love. But now in today's society, relationships are where you go to find real love and affairs are what ruin that um, that love, which is kind of interesting when you think about that. So now, like I said before, polyamory isn't just about sex. It is mostly about intimacy. And Teal Swan gives the definition of intimacy as a closeness or a connection to someone, but so close you penetrate their inner world. You see into them. You want to understand them. You want to be there for them. That doesn't have to be sexual. And intimacy can be hard for people. Um, I know it was very hard for me for a while, and I'm just now at a point in my life where I'm 31 where I am comfortable with it. Now, before I get off on all this kind of stuff, I want to say, like I said, I'm not saying that either way is the way to go. This is an individual thing. It's an individual conversation you have to have with yourself first, because what you bring to the table is going to both good and bad. So what baggage you bring, what good you bring, that is going to dictate how your relationship is going to kind of go, whether it's monogamous or polyamorous. So you need to be able to understand and know yourself and having to have done work on yourself before you can be in a monogamous or a polyamorous relationship, more so than polyamorous, more so than monogamous, excuse me. Um, and we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But um, so I'm going to kind of get into first the, the, the cons of polyamory, what you kind of want to watch out for in terms of is it right for you right now? Because I do believe that on a consciousness level, we are shifting towards being becoming more polyamorous based. Now, that, that being said, if you are in a monogamous relationship and it's working for you, that doesn't mean you have a lack of consciousness or you have some growing up or expanding to do. What is more important is what is good for you right now? What is good for your higher self right now? And what's good for you being able to contribute to the community at large? So if that means that in order to be your best self, in order to be happy, and in order to thrive, you need to be monogamous, that's totally fine. Um, and I will, uh, I thought that was me for a long, long time. I cheated on most of my spouses, not spouses, I'm not married, uh, on most of my relationships, and it, it ate me up inside. And it made me feel guilty. Um, so that was kind of my first inkling on like, maybe this isn't working for me. And then I kind of swung into relationship anarchy mindset where I was like, I shouldn't be limited. I should be able to do what I want, blah, 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 blah. And I'm now kind of swinging on the pendulum back into more like restriction is fine. And I would like to have a 
a main partner uh, that we and every polyamorous relationship is different. You know, there's going to be different rules. Um, I'll kind of get into some of my rules here in a little bit. But back to the cons of polyamory. So you will be working against society. And that in and of itself is sometimes uh, deterrent for certain behavior. For me, it's not really because I've always been on the fringe of society, whether it's how I dress, whether it's being a gay adolescent in a town of 300 people, whether it's, uh, gosh, doing drag and then doing bearded drag. I've always been against the grain of society. So for me, that's not really something that affects my decision making. For some, it can be because, you know, let's say you had a life where you were able to go with the grain of society and you were happy with that. Now, going against the grain, especially if you have made relationships with people who also go with the grain of society, they're going to look at you like, are you crazy? What's going on? Are you okay? And this isn't right, especially if religion is thrown into this. Um, it can be a little jarring. And because I have like-minded friends, like it's not, it's a blink of an eye for one of us to do something out of the societal norm, you know? Another thing is every one of your relationship insecurities will come to the surface. Jealousy, intimacy issues, uh, lack of um, adequacy in yourself that you see, all those kind of things are going to come up and you're going to have to deal with them. And if you can't, it's going to be a recipe for a train wreck and one that I don't recommend you watch because it's hard to deal with. I had a relationship, my last relationship, actually. He's my best friend now, so I'm very thankful. But there was a point where I knew I should have pulled the trigger in the sense of ending it. But I kind of let this train wreck just explode before my eyes because I felt like that would be less of a painful thing than for me to pull the trigger and end it lesson learned now that's not the case um lots well, life is all about learning lessons you guys and you know that's part of why i love doing this podcast is because like i get to share what life lessons i've learned and just some nuances that i've learned uh i also go on a lot of little side notes or side tangents so now because of how we are raised and how we are conditioned to believe that our self-worth is reflective on other people's attitudes towards us. So i.e. or like in other words, we are raised to believe that when someone loves us, we are worthy. We are enough. If that person loves somebody else, our self-worth is then diminished and or or taken from us. Now you see this in Disney movies, you see this in storybooks you see this in our parental maybe our parental influences because a lot of our parents are monogamous so and then you see like let's say you were the child of a divorce you probably witnessed a lot of hard emotional uh times with your parents and you know we are conditioned to kind of believe that and it takes a lot of inner work on yourself to separate that. It's taken me years to do that. Um, 
I have always been the single one. So in a sense, it wasn't that hard for me to separate my self-worth from a relationship status because I haven't had many relationships. So I've, but I have seen people going from relationship to relationship where that's a big hurdle they have to like go through. Excuse me. So our sense, we have, what we have to do is realize and get to a point where our self-esteem and our sense of self, our self-worth have nothing to do with another person. And this is pivotal just for life because people are going to leave, whether it's sickness, death, uh, by choice because they just need to leave, whatever that is, people leave. And for a lot of people, myself included, that can sometimes stir up some anxiety, stir up some sense of abandonment. We have to work through that. Um, and this is when people say like, oh, you have to be solid on your own two feet to go into a relationship. I believe that's 100% true. Because if you, let's say you get into a relationship right out of sobriety or right out of a bad relationship breakup your sense of self-worth that you're rebuilding or your sense of sobriety that you're rebuilding, your sense of stability that you're rebuilding is going is being built around this other person subconsciously or consciously. You know, this person is there providing support for you and all this. And now let's say that they leave or they die or they get sick, whatever it is. Now a piece of your stability, sobriety, self-worth, that you built is gone and you can either choose to go back and look for that in another person, which starts this cycle of trying to fill this void that only we ourselves can fill. That's the real, some of us get lucky and marry our high school sweetheart or the first person we date or whatever. And we don't have to go through that having to fill that void with ourselves because we ended up, it's, it's, we were ended up lucky especially in today's society of smartphones, Tinder, the next best thing is always right there. So it's a lot easier for people to leave and which makes it all that more pivotal that you important that you build your sense of self-worth through yourself. Uh, so now back to how we were raised and this sense of developing your own self-worth and self-esteem is much easier to do into children than it is to approach how we approach relationships as a healthy adult. So if we raise our children, and when we say our, I don't have kids, but if you raise your children to believe that they are enough on their own and that they are beautiful on their own, they're going to have a lot easier time and I'm not saying that parents raise children with this mentality of you need to find a partner, but the subliminal messaging from the movies, from the books, um, give a certain narrative to us that that is what deems our self-worth, unless something is told alongside it to kind of combat it in the sense that, you know, let's say you're watching Cinderella and she gets the part where she, you know, marries the prince and you know, you need to tell your, your kid 
that's really awesome that she, you know, that the glass slipper fit her and she got her prints. But you know what? Cinderella would have been okay without her prints. And you and, you know, Cinderella can be happy without her prints. That just that other narrative being told opens the mind to that possibility. Now, we also have to really look at the reason why we are trying to enter a polyamorous relationship. Because like the relationship anarchy thing, um, or trying to fill this void, if there is a wound from commitment, and this is where my kind of my sense of initial interest in polyamory started, if there is a wound from commitment in our past, we will find whatever way we can to avoid intimacy. And polyamory, sometimes polyamory is used to avoid intimacy. And that's not what you want to do because then you're just, you're covering up a wound that needs to be addressed by itself. There um, are going to be complications with the polyamorous relationship. You know, it's complicated enough to have a loving, intimate relationship with just one person. Now imagine involving more than one person into that mix. It's it's gonna be complicated. Not to mention us as a society, most of us, and this is not a read, sister, most of us are emotionally immature. Again, that's not a read. I suffer from it in certain instances. I'm not perfect. I'm not Gandhi. I'm not Buddha. I'm not Jesus. I'm growing and learning. So when you enter a relationship with someone who isn't fully emotionally developed or even aware that they're emotionally undeveloped, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And if our ideals as a you know human being aren't challenged and we aren't forced to expand our thinking, we don't know what we don't know. So you can't blame someone for their shortcomings if they don't know it's a shortcoming or if they haven't had the obstacle put in front of them to try to work around it. That is something that really is, I mean, I, there's a quote, the darker the weather, the better the man. I, I really do believe that because when you are forced with, when you are faced with adversity, when you're faced with challenges, when you're faced with people, and this is why diversity, you guys, this is why I love diversity. When you are exposed to other ways of thinking that are different than your own, if you are able to truly listen to that story and truly listen to what they have to offer, you, your consciousness expands and you begin to see life in a whole new, beautiful way because there's so many different cultures, religions, ways of thinking, ways of loving, ways of being that we don't know because we don't know them. And I mean, diversity is a really, really beautiful thing. And uh, that's, but I, I will, we'll get into the benefits of, um, We'll get into the benefits of polyamory here in a little bit, uh, but I'm going to take a little break and we will be right back with the benefits of polyamory. So stay tuned. 
Hello, and welcome back. In this uh, segment, I'm going to kind of go over the benefits, the pros of polyamory. So the first one is breaking the thought that one must have relational or sexual exclusivity in order to have a deeper connected relationship. Um, they often find that poly people tend to feel a deeper connection with their fellow man. And I can attest to that. I believe that love, the world needs love. And I don't want to limit my love to just one person. I do want to have a base partner by all sorts and senses of the word. But I love everyone I meet, strangers, friends, hookups. And you can love people to different degrees. You love friends differently. You love your parents differently. So you can love a stranger, you can love your fellow man. And that is like the first kind of key thought change that can kind of maybe make you think about polyamory, at least it was for me. Uh, somewhere along the line, our consciousness evolved from unconscious polyamory to monogamy, because that's how society kind of had its hand. Yet that same evolutionary trend will bring us from monogamy to conscious polyamory, where, I mean, it's it's such a beautiful thing. Um, but much like rushing a child to walk, it's unhealthy to impose the ideal of polyamory onto people who think, or not think, excuse me, who believe, and this is true for them. So I'm not saying like, oh, they're deluded, but, or de delusioned, disillusioned, excuse me, some people for their current psyche and state of being monogamy is the correct and most healthy choice for their higher self and that's completely fine there is no shortcoming of consciousness when you decide to be monogamous much like excuse me i have the hiccups much like it's not a shortcoming of, of a child to uh, crawl before they walk Everyone grows and develops at their own rate. And that's what makes everyone, you know, beautiful because they're all, we're all in our own journey. As long as you continue to just, you know, evolve and grow. In a polyamorous situation, there are higher degrees of support, more love, more help. And I have a story to attest to this. Um, very recently, I had a panic attack. And a friend of mine who is in a polyamorous or open relationship um, who I have had relations with part with this partner, my friend, and his partner knows about it. And I've hung out with his partner and him together in, in a non-sexual context. And um, my friend who I'd had relations, we'll call him George. He um, had company over who he has had sex with um, and him and his uh, sexual partner and his boyfriend were all hanging out. And I texted my friend, George, and I was like, I'm having a panic attack. Well, he said he had company, so I just kind of like put it on the back burner because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a bother. Well, he um, called me and he was like, hey, what's going on? And I was like trying to be dismissive. And he's like, I'd rather hear your story than go to your funeral. 
So that immediately disarmed any sort of like, oh, I can't possibly. Anyway, um, I was like, I'm having a really, I'm having a very bad panic attack right now. And I just need to be held. He's like, hold that thought. And he calls me back and he's like, you're going to become, you're going to come over and be part of a cuddle puddle. Like get your shoes on. Uh, we'll be over here over to pick you up in a little bit. Of course, initially I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. This is new. I don't want to do this. But I also didn't want to feel like I was going to die. <laughs> so I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, he came over. He picked me up. Um, I walk into their house and his boyfriend is watching TV and his boyfriend is so nice. And he's like, oh, honey, what's wrong? And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to die. And he's like, oh, yeah, panic attacks feel like that. You know, go on and lay down. And his boyfriend cuddled me in front of him. There was no, and I'm very sensitive to energy. There was no jealousy there at all. Um, his, you know, his person, his company also cuddled me. And in a matter of like 10 minutes, I just was at peace. And we ended up, you know, playing video games and hanging out. And I didn't have sex with any party. And it was really nice to just feel that support and that love. So when you are in a polyamorous relationship, a healthy one, there are more opportunities for that support and love. Uh, you experience more gifts that come with intimacy, um, expanding yourself, expanding how you see the world, feeling that, that sense of belonging and love. Although this is a, also I listed this in the cons, you'll be forced to face your shadows with relationships and you'll have to separate your sense of self from relationships and face your demons about control, I see this as more of a con, I mean, more of a pro because anywhere where you can work on yourself and do self care and, you know, growth is a plus in my book. Um, because there are more people, you'll have more availability to get your needs met, though this isn't confused with using someone. Uh, now, this is where monogamy for me fell short. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back. I can't look at someone and say, everyone before me sexually is null and void. There shall be no one hereafter me. And I will fulfill every single one of your sexual urges, wants, needs, and desires. That bar is too high. I have good days. I have bad days. There's some days I don't want to have sex and I don't want to deny my partner that. I also, I firmly believe that a lot of reasons that monogamous couples argue over stupid little shit, it's not about the stupid little shit. It's because there's resentments that have been planted and tended to, whether that is denying a past partner, whether that is denying a primal urge, whether that is whatever. I mean, there's so many resentments that start, but that comes out in arguments over dumb shit that you're not even really pissed about, you know, like out of nowhere, someone blows up over, you know, whatever it's, I think, and I'm not a relationship expert, but I think it's from resentments that aren't being addressed. Um, also, I'm here to tell you, I have had a lot of sex with, and a lot of great sex, with a lot of 
amazing people. And whether you um, believe it or not, there is an exchange that happens during sex. I'm going to get a little metaphysical on you here. There is an exchange that happens. And there are just some people that you connect with on a sexual level that it's it's mind blowing and it is consciousness expanding and it is you feel rejuvenated afterwards and because i've experienced this i don't want to not have my partner experience this and in terms of someone that they've been with in the past now this is a rule that i would probably have in a polyamorous relationship i don't know if i would want them on grinder hunting for new dick you know i would hope that they would have people in their little black book that they could go back to to experience that level of rejuvenation you know i also you know let's say i'm dating someone who's just a top or just a bottom you know and they i want something else fulfilled that they can't fulfill that's nothing to do with them in terms of their self-worth and who they are to me it has to do with me and my needs and but that's a really hard disconnect to get to with people and to get to with yourself where let's say you know i'm versatile but let's just say i'm a, I'm a, I'm a bottom and my partner is versatile and they want to be topped um i now in my you know wise age of 31 i know that that has nothing to do with me and my self-worth and I still am worthy. I still am loved by this person. So if my partner on the way home from work, you know, has sex with someone, but they're still coming home to me, they're still making dinner with me. They still are living with me. They still are choosing to make this life with me. That means more than the five to 10, 20 minutes that they spend with this person that I, you know, I mean, I, I, I go on the fence of wanting to know about it. You know, I some I mean, I don't know. That's something I'd have to work with with a per current partner. And, um, you know, I'm not here to say that I wouldn't be monogamous for, you know, an initial amount of time or, you know, the, it, it varies between different people, um, though I do use caution with the well, let's be monogamous for our first six months, then six months rolls around and this person isn't ready to be open. That can just lead to a whole slew of arguments. And like, so it's a, it's a conversation that is between, you know, it's individualized between whatever, yeah, each individual couple and people and peoples involved. Now with more people, you're going to get more perspectives. It's going to be more expansive. You're going to become an expert in conflict revolution and life will never get dull because you have all these people from different walks of life that offer different advices or different advice and, you know, different points of view that, I mean, I find it beautiful. It's like, you know, the melting pot of relationships. Bottom line is there's nothing wrong with polyamory and there's nothing wrong with monogamy. There's nothing inherently right with either of them. I also wanted to find some statistics on, uh, you know, who's practicing polyamory. And because it's such a hard thing to narrow down in terms of definition, it's there then for hard to get a statistical number to put to that definition or to put to that thing you're trying to find out. I did see that like 
there was one website that said four out of five people have at least attempted it or 4% of the people, 4% of couples in America have attempted it. I'm also going to link a uh, really interesting article that is, it's a little older, but it kind of breaks up who has done monogamy or interested in monogamy or excuse me, polyamory, who's interested in polyamory, who's currently in polyamory by like uh, sexual orientation, by religion, excuse me, by gender. There's, so it's kind of interesting to kind of see that. Like I said, it is a little dated, but you know, it's, it's still a good article. Um, I guess just bottom line, this conversation, I wanted to have it because I grew up obviously with monogamous, well, you know, cheating, my father cheated, but like the monogamous structure of parental, uh, relationships. And, you know, um, I then only saw monogamous relationships up until I moved to Minneapolis. And then I started to see open relationships and polyamorous relationships. And I'll be really quite frank, the happiest, healthiest couples I've seen have been open. Like I, I know couples that have been open and they've been together since I moved to this business before I moved to the cities and they're still together and they're still happy. Um, but it does take a sense knowing yourself. It takes um, working through demons. It takes filling that void that we have that's either a wound from childhood or a wound from a past relationship that we have to fill on our own so we're not filling it with other people. Also, like I said earlier, it's also not using people. You know, we're not using people for a means to an end. We are trying to make everyone's life involved better in terms of involved in the relationship. Uh, Love is the most powerful thing in this world. It acts through people in ways that they're not even aware of. And I'm of the firm belief that if I can spread love to people that, you know, that can, it can heal a lot of things and it can help a lot of people. Uh, but we, like Mama Ru says, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love someone else? That's come. That's so true. Um, it sometimes can be difficult for me to see a relationship and see the shortcomings in terms of what people have described to me. Cause I, again, I'm not a psychiatrist or a relationship therapist and just be like, damn, like, I want my own, my, I want my chance at that. I want my chance at like making someone happy and it will come with time. I firmly believe it will come with time, but you know, it, I lost my train. The train of thought is gone, but on that note, uh, I'm going to wrap up this segment, uh, though do stay tuned because the next segment, uh, is, the very first edition of the horrible hookup uh, stories, which is mine, one of my, my uh, most horrible hookup that comes to mind. But every episode, I'm going to include a horrible hookup story from either a stranger or a friend or whatever, because uh, I think it's kind of a it's kind of a fun thing to you know include and talk about, um, and kind of makes us maybe feel better about our horrible hookup and be like, oof, gosh, it could always be worse. Um, next week. 
the uh, topic is going to be about hookups throughout history. I, because things have changed so rapidly, even just in the time that I have been a gay man that is sexually active um, and, you know, how these things have changed the way we interact with one another, how we enter relationships, how we have sex, how we find sex, how we find partners. Um, so that is going to be the next topic uh, next week. So if you guys have any anecdotal stories, if you have any questions, if you want to be a part of the conversation, I encourage you to either contact me on my Facebook. Uh, we have a Twitter page now. It's called Bold Beardy Beard because it was bold, beautiful beard. It was too long. So again, the Twitter is bold beauty beard. Uh, you can contact me there. You can contact me on my Facebook. If you are a Facebook, uh, on Facebook, uh, or have me as a friend, but I really want more people to be involved in the conversation. You know, I want people, I want different viewpoints. I want different questions. So, you know, this is an inclusive podcast. And it's not, I don't want it to be me sitting here talking to you. I would love for you to be a part of the conversation. So think about that. Uh, think about questions you have about hookups throughout history. Um, and heterosexual people don't feel like you can't ask a question or, you know, give your two cents because I am not heterosexual, obviously. So a lot of my life experience is, well, all of my life experience is from a homosexual male's point of view. I would love to get a heterosexual male's point of view or a uh, heterosexual female's point of view or a you know lesbian's point of view or a trans person's point of view. I just want different points of view so we can just have different you know viewpoints on the topic. So I wanna thank you very much for uh, tuning in to the Bold, Beautiful and Bearded podcast. This is uh, our third episode. I got a great feeling about it. I got a really great feeling about the message that uh, I want to spread. So stay tuned and uh, thank you very much for being a part of the conversation. I look forward to having another one with you guys. Have a good week. Welcome to the first edition of Horrible Hookups. This will be a segment that I will include in every episode. I'm going to be going around and asking strangers, friends, fellow hookups um, about their horrible hookup or horrible date stories. Um, so I figured why not kick it off with, you know, your, yours truly. And this one is the first one that always comes to mind. Let me give you some context. So I saw this individual on Grindr and he had a picture of my favorite breed of dog. Now, my favorite breed of dog is the English Bull Terrier, or the English version of the Pitbull, essentially. They are the target dog. They're known as, they're known as Spuds McKenzie. Um, they have the funny nose. They are characters. They're adorable. They actually are the strongest dog um, if you calculate uh, pounds per square inch of muscle. Um, but they're just they're, they're sweethearts, and they're huge charmers. And I have yet to uh, see one in real life. So he had a picture of him holding this dog and I messaged him and I'm like, oh, I love your dog. He's so cute. And he goes, oh, thank you. And he you know, starts talking. Like, yeah, he's, he's such a great personality. Well, I was not necessarily interested in this person. I'll be honest. But he wanted to go on a date. I'm thinking, OK, I'll go on a date, maybe to meet the dog, whatever. So he comes 
and picks me up in this, I say fancy because it, it costs a lot of money, but if you know me, like that is like the least impressive thing to me is how much money you have. It's 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 a turnoff for me if you're flaunting it. So he pulls up and he get, he puts me in the gets me. I get in the car and he's showing me all these things and it does and all these like sports modes and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, not impressed. Not impressed. This guy is a douchebag. But not to be mean, it's just like he's not my type. So we go to um, God, I can't even remember the restaurant. Um, it's essentially like, kind of like Crave, um, but it's, it wasn't Crave, but it was something like that. And we get there and of course he's driving like an ass, like revving it, showing me how fast it goes. And like, I'm very much putting out the energy that like, it's not impressive. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. There was a, it was actually one point where I'm like, Hey, could you not drive like an ass? Like I'm in the passenger seat. Like I value my life. I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So, um, we get to the restaurant and we're sitting there and he says, and I quote, Oh, um, I'm going, he'll no." first the waiter comes over and he's like making the waiter uncomfortable by asking certain questions and talking to him in a certain way. The waiter leaves and he's like, I just like to fuck with people. I just like to see their reaction to things that I say. And I'm like, that seems kind of like assholey he goes oh no no, no. I, I can read people i know when to um when to like not do it and i'm like well you're not reading the waiter very well because the waiter was visibly uncomfortable so he comes back and we're still we order drinks and he starts talking about like how he makes all this money by uh, i think it was he does something with copy machines and he sells them or something like that and he's telling me how much money he makes her like business he does this for and mind you at this point in my life i'm on unemployment i um i think even no i yeah no i was not i had my i still have my i mean i never lost my nursing license but excuse me there was a point where i thought i was going to lose it and it might have been around that time but for some reason i was on unemployment very very minimal unemployment so I am not impressed with how much money you're making because I'm, you know, barely getting by. And granted, I at this point, I had my own feelings with money. So that's another thing to play into it. But I was very much visibly unimpressed and visibly just like annoyed getting there. Well, then he starts talking about, um, he has this, um, oh, no. And then he's like, well, order whatever you want. Da, 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 da. Like, you know, trying to flaunt this money. So I'm like, okay, fine. I get the most expensive item that I can find. And I think it was seared ahi tuna or something like that. Um, so then he starts talking about his recent endeavor in the ICU. Mind you, he's like my age. So he's like 28, 30. And he says, yeah, I ended up in the ICU. Um, I uh, was in a coma and I had a vitamin B12 deficiency. And I'm like, you're an alcoholic? He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not an alcoholic. I just, I'm like, well, explain to me how you got there. Well, I was drunk and then I like bit my tongue really bad. And they were telling me that they had to put me in a medically induced coma because of my withdrawal from alcohol. I'm like, precisely, you needed to be put under medical supervision to be taken off of alcohol. Like you are, you have a problem with alcohol. And he's like, well, that's not how I see it. And then starts going on about this gash in his tongue to which he proceeds 
to show me the gash in his tongue, which is so vile and so gross. And it was a gash. And we're trying to eat. The tuna, I, I took one bite into it and it reminded me of the gash in his fucking tongue. So I'm like, okay, this is not cute. I can't eat this. I'm done. Well, then we start, you know, having conversations. He goes, oh, let me show you my dog. I'm like, perfect. Here we go. We're, we're at the topic I want to get to. He shows me a picture of a Yorkie. Now, I'm sure most of you, if you were in my shoes, would be a little confused, perplexed, bewildered, fucking annoyed, because I just spent the last half an hour with this obnoxious, material flaunting, I don't want to call him an alcoholic because it makes me feel like I'm putting a label on him, but this person has some things to work through, which we all do, but a person that I would not usually sit with. Um, and he shows me a picture of a Yorkie. So I ask, what about your other dog? Oh, well, I don't have another dog. I'm like, and I, I, at this point, I am visibly annoyed. I am visibly pissed off. And I just like sit back and I'm like, what about the picture of the English Bull Terrier that you had in your profile? He didn't even know which dog that was. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, that was at Pride. I, he was walking around um, the Pride Festival and I just you know, got to hold him and like take a picture with him. And I was like, sir, I'm about to be very blunt and honest with you. The only reason why I'm on this date is to see that dog. Um, I think we should get the check. <laughs> and that is my horrible hook a horrible date story but oh i learned so many lessons one clarify if that's his dog or not two don't go on dates for reasons other than getting to know the person you're going on a date with and three i i don't even know the third one but i learned a lot on that date, and that date will forever be seared into my memory <laughs>